Well, happy Friday, folks. It's time for another, another wrap-up to the week with the best Friday ever. And I've got a great end-of-week bookend for you this week. Okay, so a couple things I want to cover. But before we get into that, i got to tell you something I'm really excited about. So the Stone Chiseler, you've heard me talk about it. You've probably seen it on social media. It's out. My latest book. This is a parable inspired by Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. It is about a young boy, Giovanni Cristiani, who finds himself in the most dire of circumstances. I mean, this guy, if anything bad could happen to Giovanni, it does. However, what he discovers, just like Viktor Frankl, whenever he was destined to Auschwitz and the other uh, Nazi concentration camps, he's able to find, with the help of a mentor, meaning and purpose in this tragedy. I, I think you will enjoy this book. Every single one of us has been Giovanni at some point in life. And so please go check that out. It's available now on Amazon.com. Both the Kindle version as well as the print version are available. And then uh, the Audible version will be released very shortly. So if you want to hang tight and wait for the Audible version, that will be forthcoming probably by next week. We will have that up. And don't worry, it's not me uh, reading it. I actually got a professional uh, read, audio reader who it did a phenomenal job. I'm very proud of this work. I think you'll enjoy it too. Okay, so... I wanted to check in this week with my buddy Jordan Selleck, fellow uh, obsessed self-improver, entrepreneur, and optimizer of life. Uh, Jordan is a, a founder and of, of 51 Labs and 51 Vets, a nonprofit that he and his wife uh, uh, ran for uh, and, and have done a phenomenal job helping veterans transition from uh, from military life into the private sector. It's a, it's a phenomenal organization. And Jordan and I, every time we get together, we, we just end up geeking out on self-improvement and how to build a business, the, the struggles we have. And so he and we were uh, exchanging emails this week and, uh, and we thought, you know what, look, let's, let's get you on. Let's do a catch up and let's record it. And, and I think you guys will enjoy it because if you're an entrepreneur or if you want to be an entrepreneur, or if you just want to understand what it, the, the power, and I'm going to get to this at the end of this show, Okay, if you want to understand the power of having good friends and people you can learn from that might be right under your nose, that you're just not taking advantage. I mean that in the best way. You're not seizing opportunities to be with them and talk to them and learn from them more than this. You didn't do that there. You know, there is this thing. It's in the Bible that says as iron sharpens iron, so does one man another. And we need to have those people in our lives that we can look to, to, to sharpen our own iron with. And Jordan has become that for me. So here's how that conversation went this morning. Enjoy. You know, it's, it's this constant tension between, um, doing too much and not feeling like there's time for the quality and not yeah. doing enough when you feel like you're bored and not doing anything in life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I was just, I was reading some, something about that though, that this might make you feel a little bit better. At least it made me feel a little bit better. I read an article this week. No, that's, that's wrong. It was a, it was a YouTube video I stumbled upon about why intelligent people um, do some of the things they do. And one of the things that they said is that, it's very hard for very intelligent people to just not be doing something productive 
all the time because they feel like if they aren't doing something that they consider productive, that they're just wasting time. That that's just like a, so. Maybe it's just a sign that you've got a really intelligent family on your hands there, Jordan. Yeah, it makes me wonder because the, you know what is that? Um, you know the anxiety that comes from doing too much and yeah. then like knowing knowing when to pull back, and 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 so like I mean this this you know this happened when. Um, actually about, what is it, June 10th. So starting like the beginning of May, you know, our business went through a, uh, a big change where we had a couple of people who left and they were part of our team that we had during COVID, but it really kind of made us stop and rethink, uh, how, are we hiring the right people? Who, who are the right people? Not, not in a judgment on them or us, but a mutual fit right. for the business. Right. And, you know, learning that startups are messy mm -hmm. and we need to have people who are aligned in culture and we need to set the expectations of this is what our client base is, which is private equity investment banking. And here is their hours. Yeah. And we want someone who's going to be, you know, super entrepreneurial and scrappy and not look at this as a job, look at this like a career. And yeah. so, um, but, but it did force me to do a couple of things. It, it, it forced us to realize um, like a couple things. Like one, where am I failing as a leader? And two, what are my limiting beliefs? And are those limiting beliefs true? Are they true in all contexts? Are they true in some contexts? And so it really forced me to um, first ask, all right, what's the 80 20 in terms of my management and leadership that I need to improve. Mm -hmm. And for that, it was number one, I was being very unclear about roles and responsibilities because that's how I am as a individual is very, um, high energy scattered. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you are redlining for so long and then the team feels that then they burn out. And so it, <clears throat> I think I've probably written this email to myself about a hundred times and all it says is roles and responsibilities. And it's just like, you have to stop and you have to take the time, even if it's a 50% solution to write down, what are the roles? Yeah. And yeah. it's sometimes difficult, I think, in the entrepreneurial journey to do that because the entrepreneurs are doing everything. You know, what's your role? Everything. Yep. It is to do tax. It is to do the incorporation. It's to do the sales. And then it's to do the execution. Oh, by the way, these projects are about to slow down. So we need to sell more. Yep. Oh, but we also need a pause to train the team. Yep. And so, <clears throat> um, I think coming out of that exercise and now we're at the, now we're at the end of that transition period where we had a hundred thousand dollars of unbuilt invoices just because projects weren't being completed. Yeah. And so that 30 days, we just pumped through all the projects, got the invoices out and had a chance to truly reset. And now we have a three person full-time team. And then we have another five to 10 freelancers that we've worked with for the past two to three years. But it really forced us to stop and say, what are the biggest parts of our leadership failures that we need to improve? And what do we need 
and how do we need to do that? So that point about being disorganized, uh, scattered, uh, unaccountable, which if a leader doesn't do what they say, then that filters down to everything. And it really, I think sometimes when we have these uh, gut reactions such as I am not accountable or I'm just not a structured person, then we have to stop and ask ourselves, is that a limiting belief? And why is that true? How is that true? Is it true in all situations? And then how can I start to address it? So one of the things was say like, no, I actually can be accountable. I can be structured. Uh So how can I do that? What are the different things that we can do? And some of the tactical things are in our calendar block out certain times. So for my intro calls, instead of any day, any time, now it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoons only. And this is not the silver bullet, but it is a step in the right direction. Um, So that, yeah, it was, it was good. And I mean, now the business, you know, in a given month, it's back to 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a month, which is good. It's back up to where it was. And now we're forced to think, how do we want to build this going forward? Um, Do we want to have a 25 or 50 person agency full time? Or do we want a small five or 10 person, but an extended team? Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it was, it was actually one of the best things. And it it just kind of reminds me of of a couple things where Ray Dalio, I think he was something, something to the effect of, um, you know, pain plus reflection equals progress. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, this, it was painful, (laughs) but now we need to reflect on it and then progress from it. Um, and then the other thing was that I think Ariana Huffington had a really, really good, um, Ariana Huffington had a really good quote where she was like, um, failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is part of success. Mm. And realizing like, this is something that you have to learn from. Right. Right. So yeah, it's been a fun journey and trying to combine that with, we signed up for, uh, Iron Man Waco, Texas. Which, uh, hence, was my Forrest Gump reference. You guys are always running. Every time I see you on Instagram, and it's not just you anymore. It's, it's, it's the whole family, dude. Y'all are all out there just crushing it. It's so cool. It's, yeah, I appreciate that. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Jing had her first triathlon attempt, which was a uh, half Ironman in, in Chattanooga a couple yeah. weeks ago. And, you know, she was really disappointed. She's like, I missed the bike caught off by four minutes. And I was like, hold on a second, 55 days ago, you didn't know how to swim one lap in the pool. Yeah, and yeah. then you did a 58 minute swim. Yeah. And 35 days ago, you did not know how to even clip into a bike and even hold yourself steady on a bike. And you just did a, how long was that? You, oh, you did three hours on a bike. Awesome. <laughs> or actually, I think it was four hours. Um, and so, you know, she's getting after it. And she signed up for Augusta in the uh, on September 25th, I think it is. And so she'll do September 25th, Augusta. I'll do Waco October 15th. And then three weeks later, I'll do uh, Ironman Florida. Awesome. And my coach has said, say goodbye to Fat Jordan because that ain't going to work for this schedule. <laughs> Man, well, listen. I'm, 
I want to, I'm so glad you brought up the first part. It's so good to hear about, you know, cause I know that I think that last time we spoke, you were still getting settled in, in Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, you were just, I mean, yeah. you were just moving to the house and stuff, a word of encouragement, everything you just said, all of my advisory clients, which a lot of my, that's kind of my wheelhouse is younger entrepreneurs, especially since I'm getting so old is going in and every entrepreneur I had it, I'll never forget my biggest problem whenever I bought my first business, I'd get pissed because the employees would come to me all the time asking questions, asking questions. And finally, I was kind of like this, this light bulb went off. It's like, I asked myself, well, who the heck else are they going to ask? You're, you're, you, yeah. you own the place. There's no one else. Unless you delegate that, they have nowhere to go but you. Um, but then the next thing, I can't tell you how many times I've told an entrepreneur, look, you have to come to a realization at some point in this journey, no one, no one will ever care as much about that business as you do. It's just not going to happen unless you, even if you give them equity, which I always, you know, advise against, it's always like overpay people, but you know, you got a partner at home, make that partnership work first. And then there are reasons for partnerships. I kind of bent that rule a little bit and I took on a partner and it was great for uh, the last company that I sold. But nevertheless, no one will ever care about that company as much as you. And, and you you said something very, very clearly. And I think, I can't remember which book it was, but Derek Sivers, I mean, he said the same thing happened to him at CD Baby and his companies. You know, yep. we, we, we assume a couple things. We assume that everyone knows what we know. And it's like, well, this is, I didn't, no one taught me I'm doing it. Well, and I was, again, I remind the entrepreneur, you know, Jordan, that's why you're the owner and the founder and they are not, that does not make you better. That does not make them less talented. It just means, like you said, you have different roles and there's a reason why you are in that role and they are not. And it's because you innately understand this thing and you've got to make those expectations clear. The next thing, and I had this conversation with my, my beautiful best friend and wife all the time about our, our retail business. Whenever, you know, she talks about something that she's thinking that she thinks that they should do or whatever the case may be. I said, in, in the way, a way she feels about the business, I go, okay, I understand. I respect that. That has absolutely nothing to do with that person. What you think and what you feel and the way you perceive things has absolutely nothing to do with that other human being who has a completely different set of maps of meaning, of, of motivations, their, their why, their all of it. And so I think it's cool to hear you say what I try to get so many entrepreneurs to understand is that you have to constantly be defining the roles. And you, you and I, we don't think that way because we're like, there's a job to be done. So you figure out how to get the job done and you create the parameters, even if it's yep. like a five minute process or a yep. five month process, you have to define the path. And I think there are a couple of interesting points here. Um, one is that you can't hire for outliers when you're starting a business. Exactly. So we had exactly we had one person who was a unicorn. Mm -hmm. They could edit video, soup to nuts. They could plan the video, edit video. They could copyright, soup to nuts. They could do strategy, soup to nuts. Uh, great with clients. I mean, everything. A true outlier. But that's not normal. Right. And that doesn't mean that we should not establish basic training 
processes? How do you write a LinkedIn post? You know, what does it mean to truly know your client and, and defining that? Right. And so <clears throat> that process, you know, and, and, and the other takeaway from this, when I look back on this is whether it is, for example, we have a, an old business that we're trying to shut down and mm -hmm. I realized, oh, we haven't filed corporate filings for like four months or four quarters. I'm like, oh, oh that's a $5,000 penalty. Mm -hmm. And, oh, then you get into like independent contractors and W-2s. Oh, this person was misclassified. Well, that could potentially trigger a audit. Okay, well, it's not going to be ten to 75000 And I was like, okay, this sucks. But then I started to think, I want to make these leadership mistakes. I want to make these entrepreneurial mistakes when we're a small company, not 50, not 50 people or 500 people. Yep. When, you know, these are, these are easy, forgivable overcome overcomable yeah overcomable there we go uh mistakes <laughs> and so i think it's just a matter of kind of reframing what we're going through and also when we talk to other entrepreneurs who have been through it they're like yeah i mean i went through the exact same thing yeah. <laughs> what you're yeah. going through is nothing new can it's I, just in a different yeah can i tell you yeah. one of my favorite stories of all time so and you said it, every small business owner, every entrepreneur, when you're starting out, you, you have your hands on everything. And the last thing I need to have my hands on is the accounting because I'm just terrible at it. I'm just, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. But in those early days, I thought I had to do everything. So one day, and, and so back whenever I first started, my company was small enough that I, all I had to do is make my payroll uh, deposits every quarter, you know, and I was, I was good to go. But I was like, no way. I'm making them every single pay period. So whenever I would cut checks, boom. I go to EFTPS, IRS gets their money. And I'm thinking, hey, if I'm doing it like that, I'm paying ahead. Well, the IRS doesn't care that you're early. They only look at one, one period of time. And so if you've made a payment that they applied early and not into the present, they don't care that there's – they don't look at it in total of how much money. They just look for that period mm. for payroll taxes. And so I get this nasty gram, and Jim and I were just talking about this yesterday – uh, I get this nasty gram that basically they're about to seize my bank accounts, lock my doors, put me out of business. At the time, dude, I was like 29, 30 years old, where you're just not used to overcoming that kind of, you think, first of all, oh my God, it's the IRS. They're like the government sanctioned yeah. mafia. It's like, and I, I'm a good guy. And now they're basically saying I'm a bad guy. And so it was, it was, it was I was fortunate. I went to the local IRS office here and I said, help me. What have I done? I'm, I promise I'm not a bad person. And this agent, she was in her last year, she's about to retire. She actually came to my office and met with me and she gave me this sheet to fill out and she walked me through it. It was, it was, you over, I overcame it. But dude, whenever all of a sudden you hear the IRS say, Hey, you're about to get shut down. We're taking, we're seizing your accounts. It's, it's scary as hell. So yeah. And that's the thing too. That I, and I write in my first book, uh, Push Play, whenever I talk about my entrepreneurial journey, um, Escaping Corporate America, I say, you know, the life of an entrepreneur is like dog years. It's like one year equals seven because you have so much that comes at you so fast. But the good news is when you get old like me, that all of a sudden you don't become numb to it. You still can get exercised. But you have so much more reference to look to and go, man, we survived something like this before. Yep. So relax, you know, amygdala, chill out. It's going to be okay. It's not I a think that is tiger. getting to something absolutely critical for any entrepreneur who is either starting off or 
somewhere in their careers to realize that um, the things that you think are really bad are probably not going to be as bad as you think they're are you exactly. you're perceiving them to be just yeah. wait a year i mean we had that and i think about the problems that we've been through in the past three years as a business like this is nothing compared to the first business when we had no money we were, when we were in 450 square feet with a, a newborn and my in-laws from china for nine months yeah i'm like now we have money to live off of you know right we have right. good problems yeah um and 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 then the other thing which i think is a realized I wasn't focusing on the team. Mm -hmm. I wasn't focused on investing in the individual yep. because we were so focused on proposals for new projects, executing clients, taking care of operational stuff, taking care of the nonprofit, taking care of the kids, taking care of our endurance training. And none of that makes is going to work if the foundation of the team is not there. Yeah. Now that goes back into what kind of business are we trying to build and we're not trying to build a, a, uh, high end small person consultancy within marketing. Right. You know, we're not, we want to build a team. Right. And so that forced us to realize that we have to care about our team and when it doesn't matter. I might send people, Hey, here's some book ideas here, are different training stuff that all that doesn't matter. Like people don't remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. And if oh, they absolutely. don't feel like you are investing in them and care about them, then it doesn't matter. You know, one of the things I struggle with a lot, Jordan, I wonder how you do this. Okay. You and I, you know, we, if you, if you whip out uh, an author's name, like uh, Daniel Pink, James Clear, all, I mean, we, you know, Stephen Kotler, then that's all just, those are names that, we just know inherently, but how do you deal with the fact that we are, and again, I don't say this about myself as an outlier intelligence wise, but I'm an outlier in my obsession with self-improvement and wanting mm -hmm. desire to learn and, and optimization, all that. I know that I'm weird. I'm at whatever. That's what I want to do. Most people aren't that. Most people have not read the books that we have read. And most of the people that we hire, we while we want, because we, there's nothing more exciting yeah. like that unicorn you had. Yeah. There's nothing more exciting to get that employee in that goes, man, did you listen to the Huberman Lab this week? And you go, oh, my God, you listen to Andrew Huberman? You know, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or you're off for a run and you listen to a podcast and you email them something at 9 p.m. On a, on a Wednesday. And, you know, you're like, oh, well, I want someone who's on the same wavelength. But then you realize... Yeah. And it's not bad. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I think it's what happens. I, I think I understand the point that you're getting to. And I How think do you calibrate that, that? Um, you know, people like us, we need an outlet mm -hmm. and that outlet is going to be, I, I learned for me, it went on to the employees and they just didn't like it. They didn't mm -hmm. care about the Netflix doc, uh, the Netflix culture code book. They don't care about the Daniel Pink book. They don't care about the, the Huberman podcast. They don't care about this stuff. It's yeah. that's, you know, this is hiring for the outlier, which yeah. doesn't work for most scenarios. Yeah. And I think what it means is that people who are of our personality type need a tribe, mm -hmm. whether that's YPO, Vistage, or this type of conversation, but on yep. a regular basis to have those 
media the mind so you do feel like you're around people that you can talk about <clears throat> you know the latest books that we're reading um and how that influences the way we run our business our life etc yeah and because most people and most employees they don't care yeah 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 you're right and it's hard to and 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 it's and the the second part of that I realize or I'm trying to realize is that it's okay if they don't care. Exactly. 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 You know, it's how do we attract people with honey? It, it goes to that. Who's the person who wrote the, the little prince and he had this basic quote that was like Machiavelli, you know, but that's just, uh, the prince. Oh, no, no, that's oh, the prince. yeah. It's a little, uh, the French book. Um, and, Basically, the whole quote is like, you know, don't teach them how to build a boat. Teach them how to yearn for the seas. Yeah. yeah. And that just was one of those things that really made me realize, like, I'm, I'm, I was teaching the wrong thing. I was teaching tactics instead of principles and strategy and getting yeah. them to care about what we are doing. Yeah. And it's, I think that you'll, um, and you, you kind of touched on this. It'll be fun to watch what you build there. Because I'm having this conversation with a lot of, I had a frustrated client who I helped get into an acquisition recently that he's, he's that proverbial, hey, I just, I bought the company, now it should work. You know, they should understand what I want from them. I'm like, yeah, no, they, you're just the guy that bought their former business. And so I'm like, you got to build the culture and the culture. And I think that's one of the things I struggle with now is like, whenever I advise like I will have a guy like you that's, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, that's done this stuff that we do and then understands the value in, you know, understanding, you know, 40X principles and all this stuff. And they want me to come in and get that into the DNA of the company. And it's like, man, that's tough when you have that entrepreneur. Again, it's somebody like us that wants to hire somebody like me to make all the employees think like us. And, you know, a lot of them, they, they are, and again, there's nothing wrong with this. We need cogs in those wheels. The wheel does not function without the cogs and they're happy to be a cog. You know, that what they do at work is just, and so I, I'd be, it's going to be interesting to see, and maybe you want to touch on this, like, how are you developing the culture within 51 labs as far as just where people are excited and, and, and you know, and a lot of the thing that I'm learning, like, I'm sure you've read Drive, but we mentioned Daniel Pink. Yep. One of the things that has really mastery, I, autonomy, and purpose, and kind of rethinking the framework. Yeah, and, and that's a lot of a lot of the people <clears throat> I work with. They don't; they're still stuck in what he says in the books. Like everybody tries to use money and monetary rewards as the carrot, even though the science is so, against it every time. I yeah, read the book, told it, you know, told the team like, hey. Here is the framework uh, this that we believe in of what equals success here, mastery. Like you really, really are good at producing videos, LinkedIn content, digital marketing, autonomy. Oh, you 24 year old want to go talk to a managing partner of a billion dollar firm and fly down to Dallas and run this meeting? Okay, cool. Purpose, you know, look at the stories that we are telling and the reactions when someone gets 10, 20, 30,000 views and they realize that they've never even told that story and they realize that their investors in their private equity firm never knew that about them. Like we have, we're creating purpose in that market. But all that, what I realized didn't matter because they didn't feel that I cared about them as individuals and that I knew them mm -hmm. as individuals. Mm -hmm. And so all these frameworks are just, you know, 
culture boils down to one simple word and that is caring yeah and the unique manifestations of caring in that particular leader's style and that particular company's style will unravel itself in you know the way that's unique to them Mm -hmm. but it all comes down to caring and if people if you say you care doesn't mean anything if they don't feel that you care and if you don't feel like you care on a consistent basis and so one of the things that i've done for example in the past couple weeks like with our intern um they want to get into investment banking and so every morning during our stand-up and every afternoon during our debrief i was like all right give me one investment banking question and we go through it every single day now and then they feel hopefully that i am caring and i'm invested in their relationship mm-hmm. now my style in terms of training the team is more like quizzing because that's how i was taught in banking for my particular managing director mm-hmm. but they i hope that she knows that i really care about her i'm when i'm doing dishes at 8 30 p.m and the kids are asleep and if she wants to zoom me and ask me 30 minutes of questions on how to put together an investment memo in investment banking cool happy to do it yeah yeah and this is part of rebuilding culture on that fundamental principle of caring i love it i love it so what else is happening man so one of the things i've been um really focusing on in the last um i'd say the last month or so is my massively transformative purpose and how that fits into mm. the podcast, the, the, the work I'm doing. Uh, I just, by the way, uh, the reason I need your address, you will have a copy of the stone chiseler, which is now out in my, uh, latest book. Very proud of that. I think you will totally it. dig it. Um, you know, inspired by man's search for meaning and, you know, I'm really focused on, you know, why am I doing the things I'm doing? You know, what is that massively transformative purpose, that big thing that's like the world, you know, solve world hunger type deal. And for me, it's spreading joy and getting people to like what we've talked about, not to make people like us, but what the reason why I think you and I are so driven to excellence, optimization, whatever, is because we find joy in that. That's that's what it is. It's just the thing that brings us the joy. And so what I think my massively transformative purpose has become creating as many platforms, avenues, whatever the case may be, so that others are able to find joy in their life. I want to create a joyful globe. That's what I want. I want people to be joyful because I think, you know, we're living, it's it's the, the weirdest dichotomy right now. We're living in the absolute greatest point of the human experience to ever exist. It's never been this good. We've never been this abundant. And yet we seem so miserable. We're drugged out in America in particular. People, there's more depressed people, more suicides. It's like, so something's not mixing. So my goal is, you know, I think, you know, eradicating the the globe of AIDS is an awesome. I think solving the climate change problems, fine. That's some people's wheelhouse. Mine is just, I want in my little world to just boom, just massively spread joy and doing that by inspiring people to not lose weight, not to go um, write a book, but to find something in their life that will bring them joy. And that's the whole improve always. And always keep looking to find that thing that that will look like work. Like you just like, you work your ass yeah. off. You work so hard. Those races you do are so hard. The things that bring us joy always look from the outside like a lot of hard work and pain. But the sustainable joy comes on the other side of that. 
what are the things that right now, and we've talked about this before, but have you changed anything? Or as you look at like kind of your, this is my massively transformative purpose. This is my mission. This is what I'm building the culture of my family to, to, to project. What does that look like for you? Well, um, maybe before I lose this thought, I want to take kind of a different approach. And that is when I look at, when I co-founded Elite Meet, which helps transition Navy SEALs and other special mm-hmm. operators to get jobs uh, in 2017, 2018, 2019, um, you know, we grew that to over a thousand members and now it has, you know, 1,500, 2,000 members. And <clears throat> I didn't realize this, but um, I was completely miscalculating what my actual objective was. I had just, just because my natural personality is the more people to the party, the better. The more veterans, the better. The more advisors, the better. The more donations, the better. Raised, you know, a couple million dollars for that. And then I kind of asked myself at the end of this experience when I broke up with my co-founder and, you know, he and I went in different directions and I had this reset before starting 51 Vets. um, What do I, how many positive points am I trying to get through these relationships with veterans? For Mm -hmm. example, if I got, if I had shallow relationships with a thousand people and very light impact and don't really know them, but I had a thousand people, does the sum of that, is that more deep and more meaningful than a hundred members and knowing them? Mm -hmm. And it just made me ask myself also for business, for nonprofit, with the family, so much of my life is like, go big or go home. But like, why? Mm-hmm. What am I actually trying mm-hmm. to accomplish? Yep. And so what I've realized in the past two years with 51 Vets, our nonprofit, um, yeah, I just, I'm getting so much more out of knowing 100 to 150 people versus having this vague goal of just go as big as you can. Mm-hmm. And so that has made me think for the business, I don't really care about being a billionaire. I don't really care about this thing having 500 million in revenue. We honestly don't have a revenue goal because our primary goal is how much meaning can we create for our team, for our family and for our clients. And once we get past that next once we, once we fix culture and once we start to get to this from five people, it's like 10, honestly, then let's get to that. But yeah. I just, I don't really care about the big goals of money. I don't really care yeah. about a thousand veterans. I care about 50 to a hundred that I can have a big impact on. So now to the, to the other larger question that you're asking, um, you know, what, what brings us joy? Uh, what brings our family joy as a husband and wife who run a business together and have a two-year-old and a five-year-old and have a nonprofit and train 10 to 15 hours a week for triathlon, um, what brings us joy and how we define success now in our late 30s is can we do these things all together? and spend the best hours of the day, most days during the week, 
with the people that we care most about. Yeah. And so that's kind of the fundamental framework and realizing it is okay if we're not spending an extra 20 hours a week on the business. Right. Because what are we ultimately trying to reverse engineer for? Yeah. If we can fundamentally right now do the things that we want in life, like register for a $750 registration fee for an Ironman and go down to Disney, go down to club bed in August. Like I don't care about having a second house at this stage. We're in an apartment in Alpharetta, Georgia. We're living the life that we want to. And at the end of next year, you know, hopefully we're generally in a little bit better spot and we'll look for a house, but we don't really care about this arbitrary misguided dream of just make as much as you can work your ass off. And then you realize (laughs) at the end of it, you know, what was it all for? Man, it's so it's so refreshing. Again, that's why I love having these conversations. I mean, that's the, that's the perfect thing because I, I tell people that that that's where because I chased it, you know, for so long. And then when you get to a point where you realize, it, it, what's funny to me is these days it's like I'll ask, I will literally ask myself, I'll go, I know I'm supposed to want that thing, but I don't. I know I'm supposed to want these to do these things, but I don't. I mean, Jim and I, and, and it, it's so great that you have a spouse that's on the same page because that's the that's what that's what helps me. It's like Jimlin's the same way. She's like, we we've got everything we want, and we don't want a ton. We just it's the experiences. It's it's getting to pursue goals that not everyone understands. You know that, that they'll go, why are you guys doing that? It's like, well, you know. and that this speaks to the fundamental reason why I've learned what entrepreneurship is all about. Mm-hmm. It is not about power. It is not about money. Um, one of the, I think the fundamental reasons why people become entrepreneurs and say entrepreneurs is that they have the freedom to hopefully control their life. Yeah. They have the freedom to create what they want, when they want and how they want. Mm-hmm. And that freedom to be able to be like, you know what, next week, I think I'm just going to go on vacation. Yep. And guess who I asked? Nobody. Yeah. I'll never forget one of the, my, the biggest moments I had, and it was early on in my entrepreneurial career, uh, was, because this is why, you, just what you said, is like, this is why I'm doing this. And so a buddy of mine, we're on a family camping trip with, from our church, and he goes, hey, he said, I'm going to China on a mission trip. It's 14 days. You want to go? And that was the first time I said, yep, I've got to say yes. That's why I'm doing it. That's why I did this. That's why I took this leap. And, man, that was like, I've never forgotten. Is That's kind of that moment. It's, it's being able to say yes to those things that matter the most. And um, and I always want to maintain that. And, and you, you mentioned it. That's what the, I mean, literally, that whole first book I wrote was about, it wasn't even a, it, it's, kind of disguised as like a a book about and I try to make this clear in push play it's like it is about getting out of the corporate rat race and getting into entrepreneurship to a certain degree but I I want the reader I always I tried to document this is that it's more about a life design it's about seeking a life not a job not a career because the first part of my career uh the first six years was nothing but seeking validation from the job and it wasn't even about money for me, man. I was I was terrible. It was all about the title. You know, it had to be an important sounding company or a company and the title that made me sound smart. You know, even if it was 
you know, it was entry level, as long as everyone thought it was a cool job. And you just realize you're never going to get that true meaning out of that. And, uh, but being able to say yes to those races, to those triathlons and, uh, which by the way, on a physical, uh, training note, cause that's kind of mine and your deal. And I know you've got a meeting you got to jump to, uh, yesterday I did a functional performance, um, assessment up here at the Christus, um, uh, human performance center. And dude, I did great, but these 47 year old legs, I, I had to do all out. Have you seen these, um, skill running treadmills. They don't have an engine on it. It's a treadmill that you own, that you make go and it has the parachute strap to it. So I had the parachute strap on and I had to do five 50 yard sprints all out as hard as I could. And I mean, I do sprints every day, but there's a lot of time in between. And there were only like 30 seconds in between these five sprints. Oh my gosh, that just, um, that wore this old, old dude out. Crushed but, you. Yeah. But the good news <laughs> is it, 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 he did, he did say, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're on it. You're doing the right thing. So, uh, and I still want to eventually, whenever I can fit into, again, my massively transformative purpose and my high hard goals, uh, a triathlon, as long as I don't believe it's going to do too much sustainable damage, damage for these old bones. I want to, I want to join you guys in that. And when you come to Waco, uh, at a minimum, I want to come cheer you on at the uh, the finish line and and buy you a big recovery meal or something like that. Dude, we got to get together. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You know, I think it's uh, going to be a very long year, and uh, with two Ironmans and my uh, wife will do two more, and then we will eventually see. You know, if we can put this whole thing together. So, um, man, it's, it's awesome reconnecting. Congrats on, uh, congrats on all of the, uh, like the, the physical transformation. That's huge. And the fact that you're able to do sprinting and sustainably not blow an Achilles, um, <laughs> is awesome. I'm always worried, dude, the older I get, you know, that something's going to finally just come flying off. But so far we're good. <laughs> We're good right now. We shall see. And I'm looking forward to reading the book. It'll be fun. We should do uh, another episode and just kind of talk about some of the key ideas in the book. Oh. And then, yeah, it'll be interesting. Absolutely, dude. We'll do it. And, hey, man, thanks for checking in. And you know what? Look, I, I, I always – it's weird because my we got to make our conversations more frequent. I had this same problem with James Quandall. We always – we want to catch up because it is that iron sharpening iron moment every time we talk. But also I'm like, but this is such great content. You know, I, we, people need to listen to our conversations and hear the things that we struggle with and that we're doing. So, uh, but let's make it this more formalized, but, the, and I appreciate sure. you making the time this morning, Jordan, you know, this is, this is going to go on uh, this today's best Friday ever kind of my nugget at the end of the week of just like, here are the things that um, I want people to end their week on a high note. And so, Absolutely, this one will be a high note for him to end on. So I appreciate you contributing to it this morning, yeah. brother. All right, man. Great to see you. You too, brother. Talk Have soon. Bye. Bye. So there you have it. That was just two dudes riffing on, and 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 literally, you're getting to uh, sit in on some iron sharpening iron, and that brings us to the uh, the final point of the show. So last Saturday, I attended the uh, funeral of one of the sweetest, kindest hardest working men that I've ever had the pleasure to know. And, you know, I sat in the funeral service with such regret that I did not spend more time with uh, this man, Chris Pate. Um, 
he, he, his life was taken way, way too early. He was, uh, 48. Um, so right there around my age and a father, a husband, he, as, as was, as was reflected in this service, an incredible husband and father. And one of the coolest things about the, the service was Walter Ballou, who's a local pastor here in Tyler, who I've known for years. He said, anyone that Chris has been some sort of a father figure to at some point in your life, please stand up. And these people just scattered throughout the, throughout the room uh, all stood up. I guarantee you, a lot of them did not even know each other. And then he said, those of you who have borrowed money from Chris or Chris's loan money and all these people, and, and this is not, Chris was not uh, someone that you would think of as a wealthy man per se. This was just a hardworking small business owner, but he had helped all these people along the way because that's just the type of guy he was. And, he's, and then the final question was, anyone that Chris has taken fishing, you know, stand up. So all these people stand up. And I, I, all I could think of was I did not seize nearly enough opportunity to spend time with this incredible man. And, um, and so I, I wanted to tag this on, one, in honor of, of Chris Pate, who was just such a good dude. Um, you know, his daughter and my youngest daughter were childhood friends, have, have remained close friends. The, the, his daughter, Jasmine, is, as Abby says, that friend that we can go six months to a year and not talk, and then within the first 30 seconds of reuniting, it's like we never lost a step. I mean, and they, they've been that way. There's some hilarious stories about those two clowns uh, through the years that I will, don't worry, Abby, I will not, I will not tell. Um, but it was, uh, Jasmine actually wrote a letter about her dad to be read at the service. And man, let me tell you something. Um, that was one of, to, to be a father and to have a child uh, be able to articulate their feelings about you the way Jasmine did for Chris. Uh, the that that's what it's that is literally what it's all about. It, it he it was uh, it was so unbelievably honoring, and um, I, I I hope that my girls um, see me as that kind of father, and. But was one of the things that was really unbelievable. J.B. Patterson, the lead singer and founder of J.B. and the Moonshine Band, great East Texas uh, band, within, I think it was less than 24 hours, he wrote a tribute to Chris that so perfectly summed up who Chris was. And so... I wanted to play that for you guys. I think that uh, you'll, I hope that he releases this. I hope some label or iTunes or somebody picks this up. It doesn't matter that it's about Chris Pate, a man that, you know, those of us, only those of us are here close knew, but it is, it is just a phenomenal song. It's so honoring. And um, the voice you hear. Um, <clears throat> the voice you hear at the first is Chris's. And um, just, yeah, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Thanks. That one, this one's name's going to be Brownie. Brownie? Yes. All right. Brownie it is. Oh, what's that one? 
You got muffin. a little spot, huh? Muffin. Muffin, okay. That looks like muffin. Come on, muffin. There you go. If I had to think of good things I could say about you, it'd take me quite a while to name them all. Yeah, I could say that you were kind, true blue and colorblind. Oh, how you shine where far too many of us fall. You'd be right there standing tall. Cause you'd give anything you had down to the shirt right off your back If I broke down, I knew exactly who to call You cared less about yourself and more for everyone else Oh, there's way too many stories to recall And maybe they can say that we outlived you, but you outloved us all. I'd love to live the way you live, or how you took care of those kids. And no one ever has been loved like Jennifer was. I'm pretty sure you never knew. How much I looked up to you And now you're up there smiling down on all of us Yeah, down on all these lives you touched you give anything you had You had everybody's back From one to count on that would answer every call You cared less about yourself I got down and out, I knew who I could call. Yeah, you were solid as a stone, with a heart made out of gold. Who knew giant like you could ever fall? Even though I know one day we'll be there with you. Between now and then, there's no way. You can try to say that we outlived you But man, you outlived us all